Welcome back to the new age of risk analytics. Today, we speak with Troy Haynes, SVP, Head of Risk Research and Quantitative Solutions at SAS, about his work and the overall risk landscape. We are here with Troy Haynes, the Senior Vice President of Risk and Research and Quantitative Solutions here at SAS and at the SAS Global Forum, an extraordinary event I've had the pleasure to be at in the last couple of days. Hello, Troy. It is a tremendous pleasure to speak with you today. Um, I know it is an especially busy and exciting time for you. I want to start off with some context for our audience. From your start in studying economics to a background in retail credit risk modeling and analytics, life of loan, loss modeling on residential mortgage assets, financial stress testing, credit portfolio management, you've certainly traversed the breadth of the risk management profession. Can you illuminate for our audience what your specific role is at SAS and how long you've been in that position? Yeah, what a long, uh, strange trip it's been. Uh, I've been been in risk management all, all my life. Um, been through uh, you know various aspects of, of risk management, uh, both on the frontline analytics space uh, from the management side, in some big banks and some medium-sized banks, uh, and now for the last five years at uh, at SAS, where I run the risk management division. Uh, focused on uh, both applied research, uh, product management, as well as consulting and advising, which includes a very important aspect of deployment, which is important to me, is making sure that we deploy our solutions uh, successfully. Great. I wanted a sense from you is when you took on that position, as, a, as opposed to just working sort of directly on a risk element of a particular institution, um, what was the strategic you vi- vision you had of how to intersect the best practices developed in your division? A good question. And, and I, I, I must say, I, I should not take credit for this. Uh, a lot of the credit goes to Dr. Goodnight, who recruited me from J.P. Morgan Chase and, and hired me. He, he actually had this idea of, of really formulating uh, this division uh, concept and bringing together a, a group of both computer scientists as well as domain experts in, in, in risk management uh, to, to focus on a few key areas in, in risk. So I owe a lot of the, the thought and the you know, creative uh, juices for the creation of the team to Dr. Goodnight. Now, when I joined uh, nearly five years ago now, which is hard to believe, um, I found myself in a, in a very interesting opportunity. And a couple reasons why I, I chose to come to SAS was that it was a tremendous opportunity to kind of build a practice, start a practice from uh, really from the ground up and make some decisions on where we want to invest in, what is important from uh, a a risk management perspective globally, not just in the U.S., Um, and also how best to leverage some of the SaaS technologies uh, to to really answer some of the toughest risk management questions uh, that that, uh, both CROs and CFOs face today. one of the first challenges uh, I, I had, I think, was one of uh, deciding where to focus on. Um, as much of our audience knows, uh, SaaS is fantastic uh, technologies. We're well 
known for the, the not only the technology but the various tools that we provide, uh, and 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 that's that's both a blessing and a curse. Um, you can do almost anything you want to do or can you can dream of doing uh, with SaaS, which is fantastic. Um, my business model was around building solutions using the technology and the tools. So I needed to make a decision on which solutions uh, were most appropriate to focus on. And we made a decision early on to choose those very carefully and to do them best. So those areas we chose to focus on, I want to be best at. And I think we've invested heavily in a couple of our key initiatives uh, that we've had great success uh, around the world. I'll, I'll just highlight IFRS 9. Uh, now two and a half years probably as a kind of as a program within uh, my, my division. Uh, we've had a tremendous amount of success globally uh, with that initiative. And now this is naturally leading to many other types of engagements or other conversations uh, with CROs and CFOs. So Again, focus was probably my my first task, uh, uh, and then probably the the second one was the realization that um, technology alone cannot solve uh, all problems. Uh, that you do need the right context and domain uh, to actually develop the right software, develop the right solution, uh, sell the right software or solution and then deploy the right software and solutions. So we've done a, a, a very good job at uh, hiring people from the industry as well as uh, other people brought, brought up uh, within, within SaaS uh, to train them on very specific uh, risk management domains. So I think those are the two big initiatives that I, that I kicked off. That's incredibly helpful and, and, and very interesting. I know that, you know, speaking of CROs and, and looking at a very high C-suite level, I know you've just had a great fireside chat with Mandy Norton of Wells Fargo and the Executive Financial Services breakout session. Would you like to share some of the takeaways from that session? Mandy was fantastic. I don't know if you were able to, to listen to her or not, but I, I think she highlighted many Many things that I think are important uh, for not only risk managers to think about, but um, frankly, uh, executives should all all wear uh, wear and consider things that that she talks about uh, when they're making day to day decisions. So, uh, some of her principles around um, managing people and uh, promoting innovation while being cautious, right? So wearing, uh, promoting innovation and having the right balance between understanding where risks or new risks are introduced when innovating. I think that was one of the, the clear insights from Mandy. And I think, uh, I think Wells Fargo in particular is doing a, a very good job at, at managing the risks uh, on the innovation, on the technology innovation side. Um, and not just you know blindly accepting every every new uh, technology or every innovation. So uh, I think that was one big big insight. And I think um, the other thing that 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 is also fairly uh, close to what we're doing in in uh, in our in our division is this idea of of embracing scenario based analytics or scenario risk management. And I think. 
when Mandy and I worked together at J.P. Morgan Chase, uh, we went through many of the uh, financial crisis uh, efforts around CCAR, stress testing, uh, along with many other things. But but I think the the lessons learned on the value the value of doing scenario analysis um, and and being able to synthesize conclusions or recommendations from you know what is in essence a fairly complicated exercise, but synthesizing conclusions so that it's consumable by executive committees or the board. I think that's uh, something she highlighted, maybe not directly, but she did talk about it indirectly in many of her statements. Now, now scenario analysis is, is, is fundamental to some of the, actually many of the things that we're doing uh, at SAS as well. Um, we hear customers talking uh, a lot about um, not only stress testing um, or IFRS 9, Right, so IFRS nine would be your expected scenario. What's your expected case? Um, stress testing are typically adverse uh, conditions. How that impacts your uh, your portfolio. But we see more and more banks now talk about many different types of scenarios. So not only economic or macroeconomic scenarios, but things like geopolitical risk, cyber risk, uh, other types of other types of risks that are very difficult to measure uh, um, and, and quantify, yet they're important. They're important for the following reason. It's not in the math or the econometrics that, that, you know, that, that really uh, you should focus on, although that's important. I'm not minimizing the importance of that. The real value from scenario analysis is the conversations that happen at the board and executive levels. This does require the right tools, the right models, the right data to actually generate scenarios and then, you know, and then produce and then synthesize them in a, in a way that's consumable by, by senior executives. Uh, but again, the value there is not in the math necessarily. It's not in the data management necessarily. It's, it's the conversations that the executives have about understanding uh, the range of potential exposures the bank the bank has in front of them. Yeah, absolutely. We I, we were just talking at GARP um, uh, about climate risk in the Bank of England mm. coming out, and and there's there's not the same kind of quantifiable data there as there is in some kind of you know shock to the financial system. And um, I, I find that very interesting. Is that the most consistent thing that you're hearing here at, at, at the forum is people talking about scenario analysis? Then I, I'll just say um, scenario analysis is not new. It's been around for, for a long, long time. What's different now is, is, is really the, the granularity in which scenarios can be run. So typically now most banks are able to run scenarios at the instrument or loan level if you're talking about the banking book. Um, they're also able to associate risk factors in a way using some pretty nice, pretty interesting quantitative techniques in a way that hasn't been done in the past. They're also able to look very far in advance, so not necessarily one month or six months or 12 months, but now it's life of loan. It's, it's uh, you know, very long duration type of uh, uh, exposures and, and predictions that you're making. So, so these types of kind of 
perceptions or, or, or uh, views of scenarios are much different than the financial planning on a spreadsheet, right? So, uh, and, and, and frankly, this has caught the attention of, uh, of finance and accounting uh, communities quite, quite dramatically, which is quite, quite fascinating to me because we find most of the demand for scenario analytics now is coming from the CFO. The CFO now has the ability, uh, not universally, not everywhere, but now getting a flavor for running all types of business planning scenarios, not from a spread, not from a segmented or highly segmented uh, spreadsheet type of analysis, where f- maybe risk factors are not very well, you, you know, uh, measured or correlated, but really using the infrastructure from risk management um, and the data from risk management, some of the models from risk management and finance um, that are revealing much more insight into very unique aspects of portfolio uh, behavior. So CFOs love this ability because CFOs are all about, if you think about it, what CFOs are ultimately responsible for is not only the financials or the financial statements, but also how to optimize the allocation of capital uh, at, at the bank, right? So um, by doing planning and scenario analysis in this context allows the finance community to really understand their portfolio in a much more granular way than they've ever, ha- they've ever done before. It also seems like that puts them in a more proactive position than, than a reactive one. Yeah, that's very, very true. Which that's, is very empowering. It's very for... empowering. Uh, and, it's, and it also puts the risk management department in a, in a proactive uh, position, not just defensive, not just focused on regulatory, because typically much of the quantitative modeling, uh, and, and at least on the, on the risk side, is, is part of this scenario uh, you know, puzzle, right? So it's risk and finance now working together to generate all types of different scenarios that are not only for regulatory purposes, but really are focused on managing the bank much more efficiently. Absolutely. Um, And I think that that is is a shift I'm seeing in almost every drilled down element of risk is people sort of shifting this focus from being an alarm raiser to being, you know, looking for new opportunities and new value adds. Are you seeing that? The, the evolution of, of risk, obviously, post-financial crisis, uh, it was all focused on uh, saving the bank, right? So let's, let's do very defensive. Let's, let's make sure we do the right thing uh, to reserve capital and liquidity to, to save the bank. But now, over, over time, I think risk and finance and treasury in particular are much more integrated than ever. You know, in certain parts of the world, we see perhaps a relaxation of certain types of uh, regulations. In other parts of the world, we see an increase, uh, tightening in certain types of regulations. Uh, So I I don't think there's a uniform pattern necessarily on how risk and business are working together. But um, clearly, clearly that it's been recognized that it's important to have these different pieces work well together. Definitely. I, I feel like business is deciding whether or not we're going to be siloed anymore, more than more than managers. Um, but that's just a side perception that I, I feel like I'm yeah. hearing that a lot. Yeah. Um, in 
in your role and in, 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 in gatherings at, at like this forum, what are you hearing are the most pressing issues of concern for risk managers you know, that, that are really top of mind? Mm. Um, yeah, I think for, first and foremost, it, it, um, this may sound counter to what I just said, but, it, but first and foremost, it is re- regulations, right? So if you talk to CROs, typically their first or second um, you know, theme of conversation is around this regulator is requiring these types of uh, you know, inputs or reports or uh, information. How do I comply with that particular uh, regulation? But um, regulations not driving all of the conversations. In fact, for those banks that are making regulatory investments, they're really looking to leverage uh, their investments uh, for multiple use cases. And I think, uh, I, I think that's becoming more and more apparent um, is that banks are not looking for point solutions, best in breed point solutions necessarily. They're really looking for a common risk platform that's able to answer not just one, but several different types of either regulatory issues or best regulatory and business issues all at once. I, I can give you, give you an example, uh, again, back, back to our uh, I-9 or IFRS-9 uh, uh, solution. Um, most of the banks that, have, uh, that we're working with on I-9 are actually using the I-9 solution not only for the accounting or regulatory requirement, but are now using it for um, scenario analysis or, or, frankly, even pricing or portfolio optimization. So, again, having the ability to run scenarios for expected losses, which is I-9, and then all types of other scenarios allows, uh, allows customers to really answer or ask a, a, a broad range of questions. We're experiencing a number of truly expansive fundamental transformation and in, in risk in the industry. And whether it's moving to new regulatory standards or technological advancements or just culture shifts, what do you think is the most challenging that people are having in these seismic shifts? So obviously, advanced analytics and AI and, and machine learning in particular, I think personally, I think banks still struggle on how best to recognize value in the risk management space in particular. Um, there's, there's many different use cases, but I think banks are still, you know, still kind of careful. Uh, you know, they're, they're fairly conservative in the, in the use cases they uh, deploy, uh, deploy advanced analytics. Uh, and I think this is, this is right. I think the, these, the, the, the kind of relative conservatism in, in the way uh, banks are approaching adoption of advanced analytics for risk management. So I want to be clear. There are other parts of, like chatbots and uh, you know robotics and other other things. Uh, you know, wide open, wide open. But for risk management, I think one has to be very careful and make sure you're deploying and using these uh, technologies uh, appropriately. Uh, and that uh, regulators are, if it's a regula- if it touches regulations or t- touches the consumer in some way, that regulators are also comfortable with um, with the approach. So, so there's some education along 
uh, along with that adoption of, uh, of advanced analytics. Personally, I think the, the, the big benefits from uh, advanced analytics will come from probably those areas that may not be as sexy or may not be as exciting as what you typically read on the front page of you know, your, your favorite uh, magazine. Um, things like data quality, for example. So important to banks, right? I mean, it sounds obvious, but there are some very interesting areas in where advanced analytics can play uh, to improve uh, upon the data that that both risk and finance and treasury kind of utilize. And again, not very exciting, but I tell you, very important because that's the raw materials that we all kind of leverage and and work from. Um, Other areas like um, uh, RPA, robotic process automation. It's really automating complex processes within banks. Um, there are still many processes within banks that are inefficient, right? That are either manual or take many different steps before completion. So I think banks are looking to leverage advanced analytics in ways that will automate or improve upon what's fundamentally, you know, very, you know, very inefficient processes. I've been thinking about that and talking about that a lot is, you know, the word automation strikes terror in the heart of most, most professionals. But the, the, the bright side I think we're hearing in risk is that it's going to take a lot of the tedium out and put a lot more of the strategy in is that over is that overly optimistic of me that yeah, seems to yeah. be what i'm hearing yeah no i think i think you're right and again uh, one has to be cautious on how you use or deploy these technologies the the amount of work that's required um is tremendous at, at, at banks right just the govern governance aspect of that so can some of that be automated can some of uh um, kind of the the analytics uh, be be deployed to discover or automate some you know some of the governance functions, um, and then that does free up time for the analyst to actually uh, consume what was produced automatically and then make judgments uh, accordingly. So I don't think anybody wants to replace the human. This is really augmenting what we know is manual and complex and time-consuming and thus expensive uh, to shorten, you know, shorten that, uh, condense that time uh, and, and have people focus on really the, the, the higher value things. I wanted to ask you, being that SAS is a global organization, how, how is analytics impacting regulations that are now differing across jurisdictions, but organizations who have to be mindful of both. So there are people who have to comply with CECL and people who have to comply with IFRS 9. Um, And I think that the views are becoming more and more long-term because we're having to have a, a more global perspective on regulations and a more adaptable approach what are you seeing in the challenges and and some of the best practices around that? Yeah, good good point. It makes my job uh, very difficult as as well. Um, 
because it's hard to generalize uh, a solution that applies perfectly in every geography around the world. Um, so obviously we have to make some tough, uh, tough decisions on, again, where we focus, where we put our investments in R&D, where we put our investments in, in people. Um, I, I do think there's convergence in some of the key areas we're investing in. Um, I-9, for example, and maybe it's IFRS 17, another IFRS <laughs> example. This one happens to be in the insurance uh, industry. We're very active in, in this area. I, I love this area. I think it's, uh, it's, it's not only perfect for kind of the technology that, that, that you know, SaaS embraces and the solutions that we build, but it's also an area that I think will yield many different types of business benefits for those insurance companies that embrace not this as a regulatory exercise, but embrace it more as an opportunity to leverage the information they're generating for the IFRS 17 requirements. Um, I bring this up because this is, a, is relatively new. It's still emerging. Um, there are no really best practices. Um, there are practices, um, but they range, uh, they range around the world. So the challenge for us and other, other folks in this space is to anticipate and to be there with both advisory services and, and solutions that are adaptable enough to when regulations do mature and stabilize. Um, so that's, I think, I think that, that's a challenge, but that also applies to different geographies, right? So let's say there's a different flavor of, of even, even, um, uh, even stress testing. Regulatory stress testing varies you know, around the world. So EBA has a version, obviously CCAR and the, and the Fed has, has a version here in the States. Um, but uh, there are many different versions around the world. If you approach it... Um, as a kind of a, a point solution isolated from everything else, then you're kind of tying yourself into one particular way of approaching the problem. Again, that, that may be appropriate in some situations, but we really view this as making sure that our banks have the right platform, kind of the analytics and risk platform, and then applying the right content or the right uh, specific uh, business application uh, it, it actually and by, by separating the platform from the content allows us to be much more flexible so when a geography for example has slightly different requirements we can just change that content layer we don't have to change the underlying risk platform and I think many of our customers uh, actually are embracing this separation of, of platform and content that is a really handy framework, and I think that that's going to really help the way that people take a look at this. Um, that's very valuable insight. Thank you. The last question I have for you is for our listeners and people who are developing their careers or looking to advance in the, in the risk space, do you, do you have a couple quick bits of advice mm. for for um, some things for them to, to focus on moving forward. It's an exciting area. I think risk management uh, is, is evolving. Uh, it, it's such a broad discipline as well. So you can, you can go into policy work. You can actually go into compliance work. You can go quantitative. Uh, I, I think um, 
choosing, choosing a lane, uh, becoming good at it, but also recognizing that ha having multiple skill sets uh, also is, is a value. So, so really having that uh, broad perspective. Again, that doesn't uh, apply to everybody's interests or needs, but um, I think uh, being able to, to kind of swim outside your lane uh, if, if needed, I think that's an important skill as well. Uh, secondly, I think uh, asking questions. Don't be afraid to ask. There are no dumb, dumb questions in risk management. Uh, again, if anything I've learned over the years, it's, it's how uncertain the, the results of, of certain types of analysis are. So challenge, continue to challenge, uh, continue to ask questions on how things were derived and how, how conclusions were reached. Um, again, while uh, making sure you don't uh, upset, uh, you know, upset certain individuals. Thank you so much. It was a tremendous pleasure to yeah. speak with you and an incredibly valuable interview and some um, insights for our audience. Thank you so much for your time today and enjoy the rest of the conference. Thank you. I enjoyed it. And thank you for joining us on the new age of risk analytics. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform to be notified of future episodes and visit sas.com slash risk for information on these and other risk topics.